You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. I wanted to talk to someone about everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything that's happened over the last few months. And so I could think of no better person than Jim Rogers, legendary investor. He's in Singapore and he's speaking to me now where it's around about 20 past six in the evening. Jim, I want to talk to you about something that is quite pertinent because, and I'll I'll personalize it, because if I look at my Skype records. We spoke exactly six months ago, which was just at the start of the global health crisis. Has it affected you personally and also the way that you look at markets? Well, the way it affects me personally is I'm closed down. You know, Singapore airport is essentially closed. So uh, it, it my it main effect is I, I have not left Singapore in over six months, I guess. And as much as I would like to, there's no place to go. Even some of the places I would like to go are closed. So that's the main way it's affected me. Uh, And, of course, you you can look out the window and you can see that many businesses and shops and airlines, et cetera, have been badly affected. You live in Rotterdam, you know, shipping uh, was hit badly. I I bought a a Russian shipping company recently because it was down so much. So, yes, the whole world has been affected. But have you done the obvious thing and gone for the Amazons and the high-flying tech stocks, which have, of course, bolstered the stock market to such an extent that we've, we've never seen? We've had a V-shaped recovery. Have you been as obvious as to go for those as well? Well, yes. Yeah, so, Lindsay, that's too obvious for me. I'm not smart enough. You know, someday I hope I learn, okay, what you do is you buy these absurd companies when they're down a lot and you'll make a lot of money. Unfortunately, I'm not very good at bubbles even on the downside. What about the bubble of the US dollar? And I seem to remember when we first started speaking, which, um, gosh, it was probably about 15 years ago, Jim, when I was in South Africa. One of the reasons that you left your beautiful townhouse in Manhattan to go to Singapore was because you were fearful of what was happening to the United States and the the US dollar. Tell me about the US dollar, because that's that's on a slide. And it's, it's, it's a slow grinding slide, but it's a slide nonetheless. Do you think it will continue to slide? Well, uh, yes, there have been times when I've been bearish on the dollar. For the past uh, eight or nine years, I've been very bullish on the dollar, and I am very bullish on the dollar now. I own a lot of them because, you know, when, when – and by the way, the U.S. dollar is a terribly flawed currency. The U.S. is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world, and so there are many reasons – that people should worry. And so you should say to me now, what are you doing owning the dollar? Yes. Well, Lindsay, I own a lot of U.S. dollars because when the turmoil gets worse again, uh, many people will flee to a safe haven. They think the U.S. dollar is a safe haven. It's not. The U.S. is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world, but a lot of people think it's safe for historic reasons. So it will get overpriced. During the turmoil, it might even turn into its own bubble in the turmoil, depending on how bad things are. And I hope I'm smart enough to sell my U.S. dollars in because one can see the domination of the U.S. dollar coming to an end sometime in the next uh, decade or two, if not before. Yeah, indeed. I mean, if I look at the euro dollar, for example, which I quote a lot on my podcast um, site, it's gone from 106 to its current level of around about 119. And that's a really big move for a really big market and a very important market. But you're still bullish of the currency long term, are you? Because of the safe haven? Yeah, because I was having, a, having a, I, what I 
I see as a correction now. Uh, that's not unusual. Most markets have corrections on the upside and the downside. In my view, with the U.S. dollar, it was strong. Uh, now it's having a correction. Uh, it's not the end of the world. It, well, if it keeps going, I guess it might be the end of me. But I doubt it. And it's certainly not the end of the world. Not yet. No, it won't be. I, I see, Lindsay, as I look around, I mean, sterling, euro, I mean, I don't see anything that people will revert to when the crisis, when the turmoil gets bad again. And not the Chinese currency? That's never going to become a reserve currency in your or my lifetime? Well, the only currency I see on the horizon that could compete with the U.S. dollar is the Chinese currency, but it's blocked. It's not a tradable currency right now. So, Lindsay, you, you're not going to have a blocked currency. It's going to be the world's medium of exchange or the world's store of value. Uh, the Chinese have been opening it, very slowly for 15 years. I mean, I would do it this afternoon if I were China, but I'm not China. They don't listen to me. Uh, but yes, that's the only thing I can I can see on the horizon. What about the gold price? The gold price has gone from, goodness me, I was speaking to an investor that I used to deal for when I was a trader in London. And he said, Lindsay, do you remember when I bought gold at $12.50 an ounce? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I'm still holding it and I'm still buying it. And you're a big gold fan. Well, you used to be uh, the last time we spoke, the last few times that we've spoken. What about gold? It's been fantastic. Well, I, I started buying gold and silver again last, the summer of 2019, and I continue to buy gold and silver when, when there are opportunities. Silver's cheaper than gold on a historic basis now. So, yes, no, I, I told you before, we're going to have turmoil again eventually. And when it does, throughout history, gold is gone, gold and silver, you know, academics and, and politicians tell you not to bother with gold. Well, Lindsay, all of us peasants know that when things are serious, us peasants want to own some gold and silver. And I'm like an old peasant. I'm going to own it and going to buy more. Yes. Okay. So what is the old peasant doing about the equity market? Because uh, it did, it came crashing down and it reached its horrible low point. I think it was on March the 23rd of this year. And every commentator, including myself, was saying, well, this is it. It's going to go back to the levels of 2008, 2009. But of course, it's come back uh, with the legendary V shape. But is the V-shape reputable? In other words, is it going to hold or is it going to come back again, Jim? Because it just seems a little bit spurious to me. Uh, it seems a little bit fake. Well, Lindsay, it's very fake. I mean, <clears throat> every central bank in the world, or nearly, and government in the world, has cranked up the printing presses, printed trillions of dollars and, and borrowed trillions more. Lindsay, you give me a few trillion dollars, I'll show you a very good time. My gosh, we'll have a good time. But unfortunately, someday we're going to have to, somebody's going to wake up. You know, Lindsay, it's a good time to be old because old people aren't going to have to deal with it. It's a very bad time to be young because young people in a few years are going to wake up and say, how did this happen? Where did all this debt come from? Staggering debt, unbearable debt. Uh, especially in places like the U.S., Japan, or the England, other places. I mean, the, the, the money that's been printed and the money that's been borrowed is staggering, never in world history. So somebody, someday, is going to have a very serious problem. What are you telling your children? 
What are you telling them? Because you say it's a good time to be old, but you've got young children, and surely you must be advising them in that regard. So what are you telling them about their, not just their investment futures, but their futures as human beings? Well, the main thing to tell anybody is figure out what you love the most and then do it. You don't listen to me. I mean, you know, my mother told me to be a doctor, and I was going to be a doctor. Thank goodness. Thank goodness I came to my senses somewhere along the line. Uh, main thing I'm telling them is, okay, girls, figure out whatever your passion is and then pursue it, no matter what people say to you. One of my daughters said, well, I'm going to be an actress. I gulped. I gasped. You know, I said, well, all right, but I want you to know right now there are 400 million other teenage girls who want to be actresses. But that's the that's the only answer is to, for them to figure out what they know and love. And then they will never go to work. They'll be happy because uh, they'll love what they're doing. They'll never have a job. They'll just get up every day and have fun. And that's who's successful, Lindsay. Those are the people who are successful and who maneuver the world. And even if they're not successful, they don't care because they're happy. If you're happy, you don't care much about other stuff. So what you're saying is, to, to me, as you get old and more of a curmudgeon and more of a realist, you're saying to yourself that you don't measure success by money, even though that your success has been based on money, if you believe CNBC and CNN and Lindsay Williams' podcasts. Well, I, I certainly, all my life, having grown up poor, I wanted to buy my freedom. I don't have much use for money, cars, houses, boats, planes, none, none of that interests me. Uh, but I did want to buy my freedom. That was my goal in life, to have enough money that I could do whatever I wanted and I didn't have to be nice to people I didn't want to be nice to. So I did it. I did it. But as I say, I don't have airplanes and six houses or anything like that. That's of no use to me. But my freedom... Being able to do what I want is very was and is very important. Yeah. Well, you do like beautiful things because that the townhouse in Manhattan, which I referenced earlier, was very, very beautiful indeed. And now you're in uh, Singapore and you've made a decision to live there because of its uh, safety and I suppose to a certain extent its orderliness and, and its beauty. What would you say about – I shouldn't really bring up politics, but I have to – this is an extraordinary election that we're going to have on November the 3rd in the United States of America, and both candidates are more flawed than any candidates I've seen in my lifetime. Do you agree with that statement? You're not old enough. They've all been flawed for me. <laughs> I want to tell you, Lindsay, I've, I've been voting for decades in the U.S., and one of my proudest accomplishments is I have never voted for anyone who won. And you look back over the people who've been president since the 60s, you'd be proud of that, too. Richard Nixon, George Bush, you know, Bill Clinton, Obama. I mean, would you be proud to have voted for any of those people? I'm mm. proud. Yep. At least Obama was decent. I mean, he may have been flawed when it came to foreign policy and uh, he was inexperienced when it came to domestic policy as well. But at least he was a decent person and a good orator. Uh, the rest of them, I mean, Jimmy Carter, I mean, actually didn't mention Jimmy Carter. I thought Jimmy Carter was, was, was rather good. He was also a decent character. A couple of the others you've mentioned haven't been decent. Well, being a decent character is a bit different. Yeah, I mean, Lindsay, I love you. Let's go down to the bar and we'll drink all night, eat and drink and dance all night. That's different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, yes. So Obama, I presume, was a decent character. 
Should he have been running the United States? Should he have been running anything? No, of course not. He was good on TV, had nice suits, and so he won. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose, yeah, and also um, the, uh, hair, because apparently American voters like people with a, with a lot of hair. What do you think about the uh, coronavirus, the global health pandemic, as it's called? Do you think it's going to continue, and do you think it will, ch will change our lives forever and therefore our investing lives forever? It has already changed our lives forever. I've mentioned the debt before. The debt is staggering. The amount of money that's been printed has never happened in world history. Interest rates have never in history been this low. It has already changed our lives. This is not going to end in a week or two. This is going to, many businesses have closed and will never open. And that's going on around the world. There have been suicides. There have been many problems from all of this. Now, Lindsay, we've had many epidemics in history, but never before did they close McDonald's. Never before did they close down the whole world. Uh, this time around, for whatever reason, some journalists and academics got excited and hysterical, and the whole world closed. And the results, I mean, Sweden didn't close, as you know. Well, Sweden's been less badly affected than nearly everybody. Yeah. The people that came through this without hysteria and, and insanity are going to be less bad off than the rest of us. But the rest of us, I mean, this is it's incomprehensible, the amount of money that's been printed and spent, and it's not over yet. So what you're saying is that places apart from the Scandinavian country you just mentioned, Sweden, that have, have approached it in a typical Scandinavian way, have not succumbed to the hysteria and the insanity that other people have. So they are right and the rest of the world is wrong. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's my view. I mean, and we'll know in three or four years who was right and who was wrong. But I'm quite sure that just as throughout history, we have never had the kind of hysterical reaction that we had to this particular panic, uh, this particular epidemic. I am sure that we will realize in a few years, oh, no, in 2009, America had the, the swine flu, the H1N1 epidemic. You probably don't even remember it because nothing closed. You know, we'll all remember this one. Yes, we will. Uh, give me an idea of your portfolio before we go, because uh, although I've gone off on a couple of tangents, Jim, it is essentially an investment podcast that we're conducting now. Where are you positioned? You don't have to give me your secrets or us your secrets, but tell us generally what you're looking at asset class wise and also geographically, because I know you love Russia. Well, Lindsay, you shouldn't ask me where my portfolio is. You should ask me what I am buying, what is new, you know, what, what should I buy? Who cares what I bought? six years ago or eight months ago. Uh, Russia, yes, I bought Russian shipping company recently. Everybody hates Russia. I bought Chinese wine companies uh, recently. You know, people stop going to restaurants, stop going to bars. So needless to say, alcohol is down a lot around the world. Uh, the Japanese market is down 40%, 45% from its all-time high. When the head of the Bank of Japan goes to work every morning early, cranks up the printing press and starts buying ETFs and bonds and stocks. Oh, I've been buying Japanese ETFs. That guy has a lot more money than I do, and the market's certainly not uh, high on a historic basis. I still have a preference for things that are depressed, uh, so I try to buy things that are 
that are somewhat depressed. I quite like that new Prime Minister Suga that has just been appointed after Abe uh, had to uh, withdraw because of, of health reasons. He gets up at five in the morning, he reads all the newspapers, he does 160 um, sit-ups, which you and I probably d don't do, and then he's, he just carries on and on. He's like, he's like a dynamo. Japan looks quite good to me. I quite like Japan. Do you agree? Well, I just said, mm. I'm buying Japanese ETFs because they are cheap. And he's buying them. And he's got a lot more money than I. If he does 160 push-ups, sit-ups every day, he's got a lot more money than I do. So <laughs> have at it. Do Great. your sit-ups. Get on the phone. He gets up at 5. He's there before the market opens. Do your sit-ups and start buying. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, try and, um, I'll, <laughs> I'll try and emulate him. Jim Rogers, thank you very much for your time. Jim Rogers is the legendary investor talking to us from Singapore. Anytime, Lindsay. I'm still a fan. Great. <laughs> The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.